There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this is Rugby Tonight Podcast. This week is a European special, so who better to join me than the great Brian O'Driscoll, who got his hands on four European trophies during his career. Today, we're going to preview each one of the Champions Cup pools. But before we get started, here's a look at what else we have coming up for you. Sarah Elgin met Ulster's new recruit, the inspirational Wallaby back Christian Leiliafano. Running out was amazing, hearing the crowd sing the Ulster song and the Ulster stand up for the Ulster man. And... Uh, experiencing that, that atmosphere was electric. Saracen Tucker, Skulk Brits, dropped by to the studio as our star guest for the live studio show. Actually, on the pitch, I like, I love it to play um, with Vincent, but a guy that's always having fun on the pitch is Billy Vinopola. Um, he's one of the guys that, uh, it looks like a bruiser, he's a bruiser. And Glasgow playmaker Finn Russell chatted to us about life under new head coach Dave Rennie. A lot of running rugby and high tempo sort of stuff, so it's, uh, yeah, that's sort of style rugby we're trying to play this year. Great stuff. Right, so uh, why do we love the European Cup so much, Brian? Um, I guess uh, for me it's a sort of a distant memory, but for you uh, it's probably uh, in the more recent past. It's becoming what... distant. <laughs> it's becoming distant. Well, but I mean, what, were you, what are your earliest memories? Because, you know, we've we followed similar paths in that it took quite a long time for us to actually win the trophy. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly early on, for me, I played in some of those big games and against the likes of... Uh, you know, Munster and, and Toulouse, and it felt like a tournament that, that was beyond reach in the early days. Yeah, that it was it was just continually got away from you, and I was the same. So, you know, I started in 99, and I got a taste for it, and I played it in every year up until we won it in, in 2009. And I, I, do, I do believe I have a love and affinity for it because it took so much to win it to eventually get there. I think if it had come to us early on and I always wonder about some of the younger lads that are still playing the you know the Rob Carnies of the world came in you know turned professional in 07 and then won the European Cup won the Grand Slam a couple of years later so did it really mean the same to them <laughs> well, the same to, to some of us old timers with some of these Saracens players you know you take nothing away from them you, you can't decide when you're going to win it but you know these guys are still starting out on their career they're not they're not even reached their peak and yet they they won the european cup twice already and part of it is then that's the expectation for the club i think that is the beauty of the new breed coming through is when you see 20 21 year olds winning trophies and they're like oh this is this is what we do this is part of our fiber so it, it, you don't have to build all that hope and that expectation and that um sometimes the pain that goes goes with that 
these players are ready to come in and win on a consistent basis. And when it becomes the norm, you know, winning is a habit. And when it becomes the norm, then you're shocked when, oh, we didn't win it this year. What, you know, <laughs> what's going on? We didn't get to the semi-finals. That's yeah. not right. Let's make sure we get back to that next year. So two two questions for me. Um, greatest European Cup or Champions Cup memory for you? Because, you know, clearly you won four, so you've got quite a few. But what what was the greatest memory for you? And I'm, and I'm going to throw throw that the other way what was what was the most humbling european experience you had i'll tell you i'll tell you the one the fourth one um was it was a bit of a non-event i didn't actually play in the final so on a technicality it might just be three what i did think about doing in uh in on the, on the fourth when i was sitting on the couch that afternoon <laughs> doing a with, john terry with, with my wife <laughs> and i genuinely did i thought to her will i go down to dundrum shopping center just just you know a couple of miles away and i said will i go down and buy a chelsea kit and have it under my suit in the stand and it would be absolutely oh, hilarious and oh, we, we were wearing that like a similar color color blue yeah of course so i thought Oh, do you know what? I will I will not want to? Oh, it, it probably is being disrespectful to the tournament if you did that. And as well, I'm like 33 or 34 <laughs> years of age. Maybe in your <laughs> mid-20s you might get away with it, but I just thought maybe I'm a bit long in the tooth to be getting away with that sort of thing. So I do remember that it would have made something of that because, it, it as I said, it was a non-event. And for any player that doesn't ever play in a final, yeah. you don't feel this. You know, no, of course you don't. You don't feel like you've properly won it. It's it's what we do as athletes. We play. And um, but would you say would you say that the first time you won the trophy was probably the the, the best experience? I think so. I think so. I think you know. I said we had ten ten years of pain of you know of um, three semifinals um, in the lead up to to finally getting beyond semi-final into a final. We had um, Leicester in, in Edinburgh. So we beat Munster en route. We'd gone, beaten that current uh, holders. Uh, and then we were down at half time as well. So we did it the hard way. We, did, you know, we had to pick ourselves up in the second half and, and win out by, you know, I think it was three points we won in the end. But it, it's that sense of relief yeah. that finally, after all these years of heartbreak, that at least we have won. And the funny thing about success is that you forget it very quickly. You, you know, you forget. You you shelve those great moments, yeah. and then it's about creating new ones, provided you have time on your side. And then you get a taste for it, and you go, right, I want more of that. Uh, you know, all those ten years they were they worked to this moment. Now let's capitalize on this feeling. We're in a good place. We've gotten over the hump, and the first one is often the most difficult. And then you know what to do when you get into those tight games again. So and what what about on the other side? What what would you say? Not that you've had that many humbling European experiences, but can you remember any oh, that went? Undoubtedly, wrong. undoubtedly, I can, I, I could, I could pick a handful because those early two thousands, we had some Shockers. horror stories over in France, in particular. You know, on the, on the end of fifty and sixty point drubbings. I played ten once for Leinster. Um, we got beaten by fifty in Toulouse. <laughs> um, wasn't wasn't the ten's fault that day. No, clearly, the fool was well, well up to scratch. <laughs> I just didn't get the service I was looking for. <laughs> Quite right. <too. laughs> um, uh, the the semi final to Munster in two thousand and six. That yeah. that uh, that was painful for us. Um, you know, we got absolutely beaten out the door by a much better team and um, come off the back of a really impressive win down in Toulouse in the quarterfinal. Great game. And, you know, we were pretty confident, but they smothered us. They just um, had a, tactically a brilliant game. And um, and then they were, you know, worthy uh, winners and they went on and beat Biritz in, in the semi-final. So, yeah, good and bad memories. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, similar uh, early memories, um, you know, losing to Munster over in... Uh, uh, you know, over in Thoman Park, the old Thoman Park as it was then, um, by over 30. Uh, everything that went wrong or could have gone wrong did go wrong that did day. Did you do a 10 in the bin? 
no, fortunately, I didn't have 10 in the bin. <laughs> if I'd have had 10 in the bin, I would have done myself a favour, I think. But uh, no, we, we were we were absolutely smashed out of sight. I mean, we, we got three points and, and we were lucky to get that, really. So I think some of those, you know, some of those early experiences, as you say, um, losing a quarterfinal to, to breathe um, at home at Loftus Road, which we probably should have won, but... To be fair to them, they went on and did very well in the competition. That was when Breve were Breve, though. You yeah. know, they were a real force back then. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, I guess on on that side, plenty of, uh, of 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 humbling experiences. On the on the on the flip side, probably the the one that everyone remembers is is the semi final against Munster. I don't think I've ever played in an atmosphere quite like it. Fifty five thousand. Munster fans at um, at the Aviva at the Lansdowne Road as it was then, and about 200 Wasps fans, uh, and uh, it's quite an experience. Uh, we had Trevor Leota playing hooker, and um, and uh, you know he's, I think he's, he's he just split up with his family, and I said to him that Trevor, you know, we're the only family you have now, and um, anyway. He went and gave the first 15 penalties away. <laughs> I think it slightly overcooked that one a bit, but uh, yeah, but Munster used half their bench and do and him doing so. So <laughs> and then I think that final to beat to you know as you say to win your first European final um, to do it at Twickenham was very lucky to play at Twickenham to do it against the Galacticos of European rugby then Toulouse who'd won you know four uh, trophies I think or three certainly uh, at that point and then to do it in the manner we did with um, you know Rob Howley scoring that amazing try at the end. You look at that combination, I, I think you must take huge joy in the route that you go and win. Whatever about your pool stages, and, and all pools these days are brutally tough. You look at yeah. all five of them now, you, you don't know which one you'd like to be in. But when you look back on, on that victory, it was 04. That was 04. Yeah, 04, yeah. yeah. When you get Munster in Lansdowne Road and then you go and beat the aristocrats that are Toulouse, that. You know that adds an awful lot more spice to the, the success story rather than maybe teams that were fortunate to find themselves through or weren't um, the the huge names in Europe like those two are. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think if you go away from home in a semi-final um, and you come away, I think it gives you that extra special edge. I mean, I remember another game we we went away in the last pool match um, down in Perpignan and played down there and won, you know, comfortably, but. You know, it was a huge, huge game. So I think those experiences really galvanise you as a group, and they're the ones that you, the, the memories that that you, you never forget. Sarah Elgin went to Belfast to speak to Ulster's new recruit, the inspirational Christian Leilafano, who's recovered from leukemia to return to professional rugby. Here's the best bits of their chat. Born in Auckland, moved to Melbourne when you were seven. What was your childhood like? Um, pretty busy. I was um, one of seven kids, so I had three older brothers, three older sisters and a younger sister. Or two older sisters and a younger sister, sorry. Was sports always a part of your lives, even from a young age? Um, I'm quite an active kid and always competing with my older brothers and stuff like that and always get to try and do what they were doing and they played uh, a bit of rugby and all different kind of sports and um, so I was always pretty active and I loved touch rugby and um, yeah, then watching rugby as well growing up. So when did you think, hang on, I'm a pretty decent player, I could, I could do this for a living, at what point? I don't know, maybe around 17 years old or something like that. Obviously I got identified uh, reasonably early, um, to that you sort of got a little bit of talent and you, you think, oh, these, these um, programs are pretty cool. You know, someone's recognised that you can play rugby a little bit and um, when I got to represent Australian schoolboys and those kind of things, you, you sort of look back and think, oh man, maybe I could do this for a living. I want to ask you about um, your first Wallaby cap. What do you remember? Like, literally, what do you remember? 
that didn't go well, did it? it no, nah, it didn't like... go well at all. Uh, yeah, it was obviously... Um, against the Lions. Yeah, yeah, against the Lions um, in Brisbane. I was super pumped. All my family in the crowd. There's about sort of 30 of them, family and friends. And then, um, yeah, the first 30 seconds or something, I went to make my first tackle and got knocked out by Jonathan Davies, I think it was. And, um, yeah, when I came to, I was like to the doc, I knew that I was... Um, in trouble and I was like leave me on leave me on leave me on <laughs> and he was like no mate you've just been snoring for the last two minutes and I was like oh no I'm going off Brilliant. um yeah it was disappointing to end that way but the um, achievement to actually take the field sing the national anthem and yeah. um and experience what I did for the first I guess 30 seconds and then even watching to sit back and watch the game and, the, and then how the game unfolded and the series to be involved in the series was a special time in my in my career and then let's fast forward a few years. You find yourself here yep. in Belfast. What did you know about Ulster Rugby before you ended up here? Um, yeah, not a whole lot. Obviously, I heard a lot. I, I think I knew um, some players that have played here in the past, um, some teammates and some other Aussies that have played here. And then my, um, my agent, Clinton Shifkowski, um, played here for a few seasons. And, um, yeah, I sort of watched guys like Ruan Pina, um, they were obviously a big part of this this club and mm. how well they were doing here. And then just the history behind it as well, history of the club and how, how proud they are um, here in Ulster. And that's something that really, really interested me and caught my eye a bit as well. And I was quite fortunate as well that uh, things, the stars sort of aligned yeah. to allow me to come here. So what did you make yep. of your first kind of run out here? Oh, yeah, running out was amazing. Um, hearing the crowd sing uh, the Ulster song and the Ulster stand up for the Ulster man. and. Uh, experiencing that that atmosphere was electric. Oh, I don't know. It was just I've heard a lot about it. People like wait till you run out and, and hear yeah. them sing, and warming up was special. Like you do a little lap and hearing everyone, all the fans clap and things like that. And um, saw my family after, and my little boy was just clapping the whole game. Oh. And, and um, my partner, she was like, "Man, this atmosphere is amazing." Like um, that family they stand settled, that they, they have, settled really well here as well. They're, they're loving it here. I'm getting emotional now. Uh, so I had to yeah, talk yeah, about this. That's okay. But like you know when you got the news that you had leukemia, how do you even begin to process that? Yeah, um, obviously a massive shock. Um, I knew that uh, something was up with me, but I didn't really want to, you know, that's probably the masculinity in you, yeah. like, I don't want to find out, or I'm, I'm all good, I'm, I'll be fine. And then to hear that you've been diagnosed with leukemia was a massive shock, and um, straight away it was, how, how do I process this? And obviously there's all different emotions and thoughts that go through your mind. And some of them, as wild as they can be, it's like, you know, you think of the worst thing that could happen. I found out Thursday that I was diagnosed and I started chemotherapy on Saturday, Saturday morning. And it was like, so I didn't really have much time to, to think. To process it now. And to process, so it was like, as it was going, I started chemotherapy straight away. And then that was sort of hard. That uh, They said it was gonna, they were going to hit me pretty hard with it. Um, and the side effects, they explained everything. And so, sort of one thing that helped me through it as well was, was a little bit of humour. You know, it was just trying to laugh things off and yeah. my family are really good at that, having older brothers that are always pick on you. How did they take it? Um, yeah, heavy. You know, I think the ripple effect that it has, obviously one person's diagnosed, but the ripple effect that it has on, um, and you, we saw, saw that with the rugby community reaching out, but uh, my family were in super shock um, and took it really tough. I think um, my mum probably the most out of everyone. But yeah, to be able to have my family be so supportive, I, I'm truly, truly grateful. And, like, there's no amount of, thanks you can give to um, the work and the support that they gave me. You know, I can't even imagine what you were going through at that stage to think about, right, I'm going to play rugby again. 
I can't begin to understand when that came into your mind. When yeah, um, I guess from the start I was like, we sat down with a specialist and um, spoke about if transplants go well, um, what can you do? And he was like, at six months, um, I'll, if everything goes perfectly to plan, um, you, a normal person can go back to work. And I was like, but my work's a bit different. So he was like, yeah, I'll still give you maybe six, six or seven months, you know, to be able to get back if everything goes well. And he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't that confident. But straight away, once I heard that, that was what, what I worked towards and inspired me. I was like, if I can get through um, a little window or something in the next goal and the next goal and, and just work little steps in it, um, then maybe I'm a chance. Because I was reading, you, you said that you would go through it ten times again. I, I probably wouldn't want my family to go through that again. I think I, I would go through the process of what I, but I think as a whole, you know what I mean, in, in terms of my family, in terms of the community, in terms of the world, that sort of um, highlighted that or spotlighted me as, um, I guess, a shining light, you know, that really motivated me. Mm. And to see people um, have so much love and support and care in the world, I was like, man, there's no other option than to me to make, make myself better and better myself as a person to be able to give back. I felt like that was my way of giving back to people, just to be able to have time to sit back and appreciate everything you have and, and why you have it. You know, I think some people missed out a bit and when you have the opportunity, I think you've got to take it and, and, and really enjoy it. I suppose the process is, is, is emotional as well, given that it was your sister that was the Bomara donor. Yeah. And I mean, is that kind of brought you even closer yeah. in a way? Yeah, man, massively closer. I think we were always really close because we were the youngest two, um, myself and my sister, and we sort of joked about it as well. And she was joking about it as well when all my other siblings weren't a match and she was the last one and they were like, she was the match. She was sort of laughing around with them going, oh, do you guys want a kidney or do you guys want a liver or something? You know, you, you can, I'm, I'm offering. <laughs> so we sort of joked and laughed a lot about that. It was like, oh, geez, she's the match, you know, and, um, and, and really, really special. And I've spoken about it a lot and how special it is for someone to give you a gift of life, you know, to be able to give you a second chance. Um, her name's Sally and um, her actual name's Salvation. So it's sort of oh. the stars are aligned Obviously again, I think, you know. Yeah, the world just works in, in a crazy way. Yeah? And I think God has blessed our family. Um, and we thank God every day for that as well. This has been one of my favorite interviews oh, ever. Geez. No, it has, <laughs> genuine. I feel like oh, I really you. like, you've been so given of your time and it's like, you've heard it loads of times before, I'm sure, and it's boring for you, but you <laughs> genuinely are like an inspiration. Brian, what an amazing story. You know, you'd have played against him, wouldn't you? In yeah, your, I did. In, your in, career. Um, in 2013, on the Lions tour, he was the one that that broke our hearts in uh, in the second test. He was the one that kicked the goal, which pushed it to a third game. Um, yeah, we should have beaten them in that second. We shouldn't have given them an opportunity. But yeah, he was, he had that really strange goal kicking style, which you know he's, we're still seeing now with with Ulster. Um, but he had a brilliant temperament. He actually, I think he got his first cap in the first game and got mm. knocked out within thirty seconds. So he recovered and then had a really good game in that in that second one. So yeah, I've I've uh, come across man. It's a it's an incredible story considering how quickly he's returned after an illness like leukemia. Well, it's great to see him back. So moving on to the European. Champions Cup action. We're going to start in Pool 1. Now, last season, um, we'd have said Wasps, on last season's form, would have got into this pool as one of the favourites, although it's a brutal pool, obviously, with the likes of La Rochelle, the French, uh, you know, top 14, finished at the top of the league, Harlequins, who look to be back to somewhere near their best, and, and then Ulster. 
Um, just talk a little bit about Wasps. I mean, from your point of view, looking from an outsider, what do you what do you see has gone wrong there? Listen, first and foremost, you know, you don't have um, you don't have a huge number of first uh, fifteen players to to choose from. They've mm. got a wicked uh, injury list, and any team in Europe, if they have that many casualties, are going to suffer the consequences. And you look at the caliber of player, you know. Um, the, the guys that make a tick in Gopperth and Cipriani being gone. Uh, Dan Robson at Scrum Dan Half. Dan at Scrum Half. Um, Hughes and yeah. Billy Van Apo or um, Hughes and um, uh, in the second row, Launchbury has spent yeah. some time out. So when you when you look at that calibre of player, you know, a lot of their international stars are guys that are the heartbeat of, of the club. When, when they're gone, new guys come in, voices aren't the same. Maybe they don't have quite the same understanding of, of the... Um, of what they're trying to do from a game plan perspective, yeah. it, it just is more difficult with the peripheral players to yeah. come in and, and keep the, your, the whole philosophy of the club embedded. And I think if you look at, I mean, they've lost four on the bounce now. Uh, and I think the two that will really disappoint them are the two games at home, the Bath and the Harlequins games, because actually the other two have been Saracens away and, Ol and Exeter away. And those two games are tough games. Um, Perhaps a new competition for them this weekend might give them, you know, breathe a bit of fresh life into what is going to be a, a squad that's, that's struggling. They managed to beat Ulster in pre-season, but obviously that counts for nothing now. Um, you know, we're not quite sure yet what sort of side Wassel put out, um, but I'm sure it'll be a strong side. You know a lot more about Ulster. How have they been going in, in, the, in the Pro 14? Yeah, they've been a strange one. They're, they're, they're top of their um, conference or maybe joint top with, with uh, Scarlet. Um you know they've only lost one game, but yet there's just a small little cloud hanging over them of the, a bit of uncertainty. They they mightn't have come across the very best of of um, opposition. They've had both Italian teams mm. having and losing to Zebra. It was obviously a, a big shock. They did have a really good um, win against Scarlet in um, Kingspan Stadium a couple of weeks back, um, with none of their Lions players playing, and Scarlet's had all their Lions returning. So that was kind of the, the result they were looking for, and having to chase the game as well, created a couple of tries from nothing in the last seven or eight minutes. Some beautiful offloading. Stuart McCluskey had a fantastic game in the centre. So I, I think they've been a little bit hot and cold, mm. and, and we're still waiting for a little bit of a spark from them. Well, maybe, um, maybe this game, maybe this Friday night game will be the one. Can you see... Um, can you see Ulster winning that game against I do. Wasps? I do. I just think with you have the to troubles win your home that, games, yeah, you? but I think the trouble that that Wasps are are struggling with, as uh, aforementioned injury list, on top of the form of Ulster in the Kingspan, yeah, and you know, and and their the knowledge that they've underachieved in the last few years. I think that's going to spur them on. Certainly at home, it's the question mark over Ulster for me is their away form. Yeah. can they pick up at least one victory on the road? You're going to definitely need four victories uh, to qualify. I know it's been done with three in the past, but that's the, the anomaly in this competition. So you're really looking at four. So you've got to win your home games and then pick one up away from home and maybe a losing bonus point in the other games if you're to find yourself out. Let's talk about the other two in this group. La Rochelle, um, you know, last season's probably top 14 surprise package. Um, it's probably the first experience for them in this in this big competition. Do you think that makes a difference? Do you think that means it might be a little bit too early for them? Yeah, do you know what? Experience does count for something, but um, they're they're a team that are playing with a huge amount of confidence. They're back in the mix in the in the top fourteen. They would have been disappointed having finished top of the pile yeah. uh, in the top fourteen last year, but then not managing to get the job done when they seem to be comfortably the best team. 
I think, it, again, for me, I think only Gloucester beat them away last season. Uh, and so, typical with any French side, they're going to be very, very strong at home. It's going to take a big performance for either Ulster, Quinns or Wasps to get anything from over there. The, qu- the big question is, can the French travel? That is, and you look at you look at top four team and fourteen and and um, and it's all the same. The top five or six teams. It's, home and it's away, all it? about home and away. It's about so they, I think they've played seven games. It's the teams who's played four at home and three away tend to be the ones that are slightly above because yeah. it's all going the occasional away victory, but there's nothing more than that. And that and that typifies, like you said, can the French teams continue to um, to get beyond the point of, of not being able to travel well? And I think with Quinns, I've seen quite a bit of them this season. Um, They've been good. Um, they've been very good who's at times. It, who's impressed you there? Well, I think that you know that we know with Harlequins when they have their international contingent playing, the likes of Joe Marler, Danny Cares, you know, in patches has played fantastically well. Chris Robshaw, I think James Horwell as captain makes a big difference. He's there full time, um, so they've been very good, but they've also been inconsistent. And I think if you see the sort of Quins that we saw against the likes of Sale and Wasps, then they've got a very good chance. Um, and obviously they're going to be without Kyle Sinclair now for, for these couple of games. He's serving himself a, a, a seven-week uh, ban. And, yeah, it's, it's a, it's and a tight one. they have to dig into their reserves a bit as well. I think for me, um, it's such a, you know, like a lot of these pools, it's going to be a really tough one to call. Um, you know, if each of these put, teams put have to, have yeah, to so win their home games. Yeah, um, put, and put it's a your, question of whether um, they can pick something up on the road. Yeah, so who are you thinking? Who? Um, well, I... I, apart from my bias, I would have said was on last season's form, but I can't. I can't see them. I think this will just be a good change of environment for them, and just to try a chance for them to regroup. Do you um, know what they need to do? They need to get by these two games with picking something up. If yeah. they can get one win and maybe even a losing bonus point, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. They've got to get themselves to a place in December where they'll get some of their injured players back, and they'll have a bigger hand to choose from. And then they'll give, an, give themselves an opportunity to play themselves into a little bit of form as well. So these are big games not to throw it all away. Don't lose the first two and be all, all but out of the competition. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's, it, it's almost too hard to predict at this stage. But uh, if I had to pick one out of that group to qualify, I would, I'd, I'd say my money would be on the French side. I'm going with you. La Rochelle. With you. I just feel if they too. can pick up one on the road, I, I don't just think, think they'll be so be hard to beat uh, in France. Um, and like you said, pick one up on the road. I think it's going to be a tight group. I think you're going to see potentially a, a, the winner coming through with four victories in that group. And you, of course, can see Ulster against Wasps next Friday, 7pm BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD. It's European week, so we've invited two-time Champions Cup winner Skulk Brits to the studio as our star guest. Here's the best of his chat with us and Craig Doyle. Good to have you with us. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Um, you have been ill. Yes. Uh, tell us about it. It was quite dramatic. Just before you almost played Worcester at six ways, tell us what happened. I just thought I had a bit of a stomach cramp. Uh, the night before, my wife said I've got uh, man flu. Said I just should go back to bed and sleep it out. Uh, the next morning, it didn't go away. Uh, just before to kick off, I told the uh, doctor, I've got a bit of a bit swollen, bit sore. Can you please have a look at it? And he said, listen, You've got appendicitis. You can't play. I couldn't. I didn't believe the doc. I asked for a second opinion. Uh, <laughs> she said no chance, and then off to hospital. So how long are you out for for that? Um, if everything goes according to plan, hopefully I can play this weekend. Okay, so that'll um, be how many days exactly? Um, Fifteen days. Ah, okay. Well, fair enough. Because Luke Gale, right, the Castleford player, played in the grand final, was named Man of Steel after coming back sixteen days before, so you could beat him by. 
So that yes. makes you Superman of Steel, right? And no, I don't... The, the, the problem is the first text message I got was 16 days from my teammates. And Owen has reminded me how soft I am if I don't play before 16 <laughs> days. So I'm uh, pushing as hard as I can. Uh, the guys are looking after me, but, yeah. Well, look, we're delighted to have you with us tonight, as is the world of Facebook Live, Lawrence. Lots of questions yeah, coming we in. Asked, so... We asked you viewers at home to send in your questions, and we got some really, really good questions coming in now. Um, so we'll... I believe that uh, some of them have even come from some of your teammates. Look at that, Richard Wigglesworth. He must be watching the show as we speak. How come you never train, but you're always fit to play golf? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I love golf a little bit more than I love rugby, to be honest. Um, Who doesn't? I think, I think <laughs> it's great for the flexibility. I've always said the, it helps my performance, you know. At my age, to say flexible, it's quite important. What so, are you better at? Uh, golf. Wow. Okay, Silos. <laughs> at Silos 1979, are there any other leagues, countries that you would have liked to have played in? Because you played in South Africa, you played in, uh, in, in obviously in, in England. I would have actually loved to play in New Zealand. Uh, the way they they conduct, the way they coach players, um, it's quite quite skill based. They, they don't just look at size; they see what your skills is and then try to to enhance that. I, I just love the way they try to attack space. Very popular question there from Debbie DJH. Uh, who is the toughest person you've played against? Would it be another hooker or or or? or uh, dirtiest else? probably Dylan. Um, but <laughs> toughest. I mean, Bucky's Buta was probably one of the guys yeah. up there that yeah. that tried to hurt Proper you enforcer. every every time. Uh, Maro Toji, he's an, he's watching at home, probably next to Richard Wigglesworth. When do you start filming season seven of Game of Thrones? <laughs> um, yeah, my nickname is The Dwarf. It, uh, um, so the funny guys you're Saracen Seagulls. So it's, it's just my proportions. I've got a very short upper body, short arms. Yeah, they are. Uh, OK, should uh, the box stick to their traditional strengths or adapt and focus on a running game? I thought they played very well against the All Blacks, you know, much better, didn't they, at the, uh, the weekend? Yeah, I, I think we, we can do both. I yeah. think we need to play a different brand, but still use our traditional big forwards, uh, big backs, everyone just to carry it up. But imagine you can, can mix both of them. Uh, you can attack space and then use the, the physicality that we, we saw this weekend. And what do you make of it? Is it Marks, the, the, the new hooker? Oh, yeah, he looks, um, like, yeah, he looks like a player. Kind of uh, is, a, a yeah. mixture... Of, of a bit of you thrown in there with you know, a nice bit of physicality as well? Yeah, it's like a Bismarck with a bit of skill mm. with it. So it, it is... <laughs> Bismarck's going to kill me for some reason. <laughs> uh, I know yes, what you mean, though. But, but it's, it's great to see the guys this weekend as they try and th things and they um, enjoying it out there. They, they were under a lot of pressure the last couple of weeks. Owen, uh, Owen Farrell, Owen Faz, as we all know him, uh, what car do you drive? Why, why is he asking that? <laughs> what car do you drive? Is it a hairdresser's car or something? You're, hum you're a humble guy. You're, you're a humble um, guy. I am a humble guy. The, the pictures I've taken is of my wife's car. So, <laughs> and I've been driving it. What, what car do you drive? It's a, a great family car uh, with my three boys. <laughs> it's a Porsche 911. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh, for the golf clubs, right? It's the yeah. golf car. Uh, it, yeah, it fits perfectly into that. Kind of young for a midlife crisis, isn't he, lads? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, yeah. Right, Timbo uh, DRM, which Saracens player has been the most fun as a teammate? Good question. Because you guys all look like you have great fun. Um, Actually, on the pitch, I like, I love it to play um, with Vincent, but a guy that's always having fun on the pitch is Billy Vinopola. Um He's one of the guys that, uh, it looks like a bruiser, he's a bruiser. When but you're that size, it's, yeah. it's pretty cool to have <laughs> yes. fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it must be fun running at people in your way 
I can't say his weight, be <laughs> a big size. And, you know, he's got the skills to play. It's, it's nice playing outside what, of him. Would he be as tough as Wayne Barnes? Oh, don't play that clip again. <laughs> uh, I didn't see him coming. I tried to get out of the way. Yes, Wayne is very tough. Brilliant. Uh, we'll, we'll take a couple more questions. Rob Thomason, one more season. Those grey hairs aren't fooling anyone. Um, <laughs> you, you've announced your retirement I mean, yes. at the end of the season. Um, no coming back from that? No, I, I mean, I think there's... The, well, with all the hookers coming through at, uh, at Saracens, uh, they're fantastic. It's their time to shine. Jamie is shining. Um, and I don't want to be the, the guy that's holding on to... Uh, a, a dream. I've, I've had a good time and um, yeah, I don't want them to push me out of the, the, the squad. You go out at the top, quite well said. And, and, and lastly, I don't, if I walk into training, I see guys now that I'm double their age and that's quite shocking. And I, I, I finished or I started playing professional rugby when they, they weren't even born. So it, it's yeah, but you've got to stop performing like you did against Northampton, yeah. and then you won't have anyone calling for you to stay on. You know, if you have more performances like that, it's inevitable. Yeah. Delay retirement. One more year. <laughs> One more year. Again, Lawrence, um, I think the beauty of this Champions Cup is you look at the calibre of the, of the pool stages, and... Um, and you look at Pool 2 and Saracens, Claremont, Northampton and Ospreys who have been a disappointment this, this year. But you look at the first three and you think they're all going to win games against one another. So who's going to... Is it a group that you're going to see two coming out of? Um, you've got the, the two finalists in the same group. How does that happen? Um, what do you fancy for, for, um, well, for starters? I think the first thing to say is, you know, this is a repeat of last year's final already in the pool. I mean, that's how tough this pool is. You know, you've got Saracens against Claremont. It's unbelievable. Let's just talk about Saracens for a second because we talk about, um, you know, eras of, of winning and, and dominating. And, you know, you have to say that Saracens are right in, the, in, in, that, in that era at the moment. You know, they're, they're trying to emulate, you know, what you guys have done, what uh, the likes of Leicester have done in their pomp and, uh, and certainly Toulon. Toulon won three in a row. And the big question is, Saras you know, can Saracens match them? I think the answer is yes, of course. They've got the full capability to do that. The scary thing for me is that these guys have played and they've won two European Cups and the hardcore of that group haven't even reached their, their, their best yet. So, you know, there's huge room for improvement from, from Saracens and that's quite frightening for the rest of them. So I, I think they're going to have another strong campaign. They've looked very, very strong um, throughout the start of the um, Aviva Premiership and, uh, you know, certainly having a home game, I think, is your first you know, or, or, or having um, an opportunity to play, that they're actually away, aren't they? they Northampton are, in Northampton, their first game. Yeah. But they don't seem to be that phased by going away from home. Their, their game doesn't suddenly fall apart. They're, they're so consistent. So for me, um, you know, there's some mouth-watering prospects uh, in store. But just on your point of, of you know, the, 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 the nucleus of their team, um, you know, Toji, mm. um, George is still relatively young, the Vunapola brothers. Mm. Um, you, know, you look at their outside back, Liam Williams back there. You know, Good is still in his 20s as far as I know. You look at that core group of players, Farrell at 10 with Lazowski on the bench. I just think they are obviously littered with huge ability, but the, I, I love the look of that profile of, of age. Mm. Um, they're just coming into their real form. You know, save for maybe Barrett and, and yeah. Wigglesworth, who still look in phenomenal shape. I think 
you know, they look as though a team that are far from transition. And also, they've, they've, they've played so many times together. That's the key as well. I, I do think they will struggle. They won't be as good as they normally are without Billy Vunapola. I think he adds a different dimension. So again, for me, if they can get through these early games, they can do enough to qualify. Um, you know, without Billy Vunapola, I could see a side beating them in, in the knockout stages. I think with him, he, he puts them back to what I call absolutely full strength. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's the sort of game breaker that you need in those knockout stages. So, yeah, you know, obviously that, that group um, has, has Northampton in it as well. Um, Claremont last year's uh, losing finalist, the perennial um, bridesmaids. Can they go one step further and, and achieve what they've um, failed to do on so many uh, occasions in the last five or six years. Well, listen, you and I have been have been present for some of those games, and we've we've always sort of you know had a bit of a quiet word and said you know wouldn't it be nice to see them lift the trophy because you know you can't keep knocking at the door and, and coming away second best and it's just demoralising. If I look at their squad now, is it a stronger squad than they had last season? I don't think it no, is. No, I don't think so either. But so but I, I think they still have enough talent. It's it's really a question of, of what's going on in the mind and in the head. Because and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's, you know, trying to get rid of that, that baggage that yeah. has come through the last five, six years where the likes of Rougerie just can't get it done. You know, <laughs> Cudmore moved on to Pastures New. Yeah. So there is an element of the new guard coming through that maybe don't possess that same baggage of all that heartbreak of semifinals and finals. And I think someone's just got to remind them and tell them that you've got to, in this competition, the quality of the opposition, certainly in the knockout stages, is so good that you have to play for 80 minutes. You can't just turn up for 30 or 40 and expect to win. But in saying that, Brian, I do expect them to qualify out of this group. I can see both Saracens and Claremont coming out of this group. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I think Claremont having won the top 14 last year will be huge to them. I think it's only the second time in, in a lot of years. You know, We're looking back to 2000 and... Uh, 10, the last time that they won it, and then they'd had all those heartbreaks of nine consecutive uh, finals, or not consecutive, but nine previous finals mm. where they'd come up second best. So at least they're coming into this season off the back of a bit of success, having having won um, the top 14, and, and maybe you know, here's hoping that they can go one step yeah, for, for their fans' sake, because we know they are one of the best fans oh. in the world. We were in Lyon a couple of years ago, and... <laughs> Um, they brought a different element. We were to, lost in their it, fans, yeah. didn't we? I mean, no disrespect to Northampton. I think that they're going to be they're, they'll put up a strong fight, but I, I can't see that the strength in depth of them, all the Ospreys, in terms of their squad, is 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 enough to challenge those two. Although saying that, you know, the Aviva Premiership started with Northampton against Saracens at Twickenham, so the opportunity for Northampton to have Saracens back, it's the only game they've lost this season, and to have them back at Franklin's Gardens, we'll be showing that game. Live, of course, at 5 p.m. on BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD. The other game we're showing is Ospreys against Claremont, also on 5 p.m. on BT Sport 3. Glasgow star man Finn Russell spoke to us about his hopes for the Warriors in the pool of death. Here's the best bits. What can people expect from Glasgow's sort of similar rugby from last year, like fast free-flowing stuff? Yeah, it's definitely be fast. Um, you know, start, we've got like I say, we've got off to a good start this year. We're playing quick rugby. We're playing a lot of running rugby and high tempo sort of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, that, that's the sort of style of rugby we're trying to play this year, which um, is challenging for us. You know, we've got to be fit and accurate to play that that kind of style. But um, it forces you know teams, the opposition we're playing against, they, if they they don't come up and, and play that style of rugby, then hopefully we'll be able to outdo them. Is there anyone like? Any player, maybe a team that you can, in, that, in that competition, you think that you might need to watch out for, or like you're looking forward to playing against? 
you know, to be honest, I think most people in our group are, are you know, Exeter, they're first up. I think we've got them, you know, they're well, won the Premiership last year and they've, they've got off to a good start this season, so they'll be, they'll be dangerous. Um, Leinster, we, we know what they're like, but they're always a tough team to play against. And then Montpellier, again, they've got off to a good start with Vern coaching there, so uh, a few of the boys here know Vern, so um, I'm looking forward to that game, that should be good fun. But um, yeah, all, all three teams in the, in the group will be, be very tough games, so um, I wouldn't say there's a, a I say game I'm, I'm looking forward to, or, or you know, a team that's going to be tougher than uh, the other. Um, it's a pretty, pretty tough pool to be in, but we'll, we'll see how we go. You said uh, guys know Burn. There's been some even more changes now at the top this year. What has there been? What those changes been like? Anything drastic? Anything like? Yeah, for for us as players, you know, we've we've got Dave here now, which is good. Um, he's he's been great for us. Good to change things up a little bit. Um, I think the, the style of rugby he wants to play and the, the different way he sort of views the game is uh, really good for us and as a group of players to learn from him as much as we can. I think with Gregor going to Scotland for a lot of the Glasgow boys, it's kind of they've just shifted, they've shifted across, so it's, that's that's normal for us. We don't really see any difference, and even Jason and. Uh, and Hums coming coming to Glasgow. A lot of boys have been in, involved in Scotland stuff, know what they're like, so we, we knew what to expect. We know, yeah, easy enough to get on with them and stuff. So it's, uh, it's been, a, I'd say for Glasgow, it's been a pretty easy transition between Gregor and the, the coaching staff moving to Scotland and Dave coming over here. It's been pretty easy, but it's been enjoyable so far. So let's move on to pool three, Brian, the so-called pool of death. Um, Glasgow. Exeter, of course, the English champions, Montpellier, star-studded Montpellier, who seem to have recruited both in terms of their coaches um, and the players. And, of course, your beloved Leinster, um, who cannot be discounted in any European competition. Um, Glasgow are the only unbeaten side in Europe. Let's start with them. Um, have you seen a I've fair seen bit a good bit of them this year, yeah. I, I was particularly impressed um, with them against Munster a few weeks ago. I think... They found Munster on an off day, but they really put them to the sword as well. It's rare enough you see Munster conceding over 30 points. Um, what I was just really impressed with, and, and Dave Rennie's obviously come in and picked the reins up from when, from where um, Gregor Townsend has, has left off. They're very much a 15-man, um, all-inclusive, wide-to-wide, um, mm. keeping the ball alive, throwing 50-50 sort of team. And I, Sometimes when a new coach comes in, players feel can feel a bit curtailed. That's far from the case with, with Glasgow. It feels as though their skill level has improved this year. They're willing to try things. If it's on from behind your own line, then yeah. you go. And I think that's the excitement of the players and the calibre that they have, particularly the likes of Finn Russell uh, coming in and, um, and, and playing that way. That is his game. And I think you've got to play to your individual players' strengths, and particularly the big names like Russell. So I'm, so I'm excited they're, they're about they're seeing them this season. I think they're going to cause trouble it's undoubtedly the pool of uh, the pool of death um i think you you know look at at what glasgow have done and obviously they're unbeaten but the f also if you remember that they w last year was the first year that they managed to get themselves into a, yeah. a, a quarter final they came up against saracens yeah. allianz park and not many sides win there but they put in a really impressive showing so now it's a it's a case of can they improve on that mm. can they get themselves probably again you could see two teams coming out of this um, but can they make themselves one of those and maybe get a little bit of an easier draw come quarter-final time? I mean, Exeter are an, are an amazing side because I think in the past we've always talked about this incredible journey that Exeter are on and, you know, they're this championship side that have come into the premiership. But forget all that. They are the English champions now. And if they, the rugby that they're playing is good enough to be champions of England, then it has to be good enough to stand up in Europe. So I think for them, their mindset has to be, well, you know, 
come on, guys, we're champions of England. Let's test ourselves against the very, very best. And it's going to be really interesting to see um, how they fare because they can't hide behind anything other than the fact that they're champions of England. And therefore, people are going to, uh, are going to give them the respect they deserve. And, and rightly so. And I think you have to look back as well to, you know, they've done it now in the Premiership. Can they do it in Europe? Yeah. To remember... Other than a Jimmy Gopperth um, conversion a couple of seasons ago, they were going to find themselves in a semi-final. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, once you're in a semi-final, you're becoming a, a name to be re properly reckoned with in Europe. And they're really not that far away. I think they play with massive confidence, clearly, in Sandy Park. They're such a tough team to beat down there. But also on the road, they're a team that plays so tight together and there's not that many superstars. They are the ultimate team yeah. uh, within... Um, within Europe and within England. So I, I'd be um, I'd be a little bit scared about what they, uh, from a Leinster perspective, what they can bring to the RDS or to the Aviva <laughs> at Christmas time. Well, talking about being scared, I mean, this Montpellier squad is absolutely ridiculous. Of course, Fabian Galtier, um, no longer there, but Altrad's really invested in, in, in the squad. Vern Cotter's now in charge. I know he's got Alex King working uh, as and part Nathan, of his... And Nathan Hines. And Nathan Hines. Yeah. So, you know, there's a bit of... European experience from those guys. Alex, of course, won the trophy with Wasp. Nathan will, will have won it as well. So, um, I mean, just their halfbacks alone. You know, Ruin Pinar, unbelievably good player, and Aaron Cruden. 8 9 10. Oh, no. 8 9 10. You know, pick them all. Uh, yeah. Pinar and, and Cruden it's, it was well documented in Ireland maybe not so much so over here that Ulster didn't want to lose Pinar it was um, the national mm. uh, policy that they you know they felt that they needed a new scrum half position freed up in Ulster um, to allow for a player to come through into the national team Ruin wanted to stay in Ulster Ulster wanted to stay but alas he had to move on and he um, to the benefit of, of um, Montpellier no doubt he's been Top quality for them. He gets himself on the score sheet. You look at that combination mm. of him and Cruden. Just I can't wait, I can't wait get, to watch this team play. I re it, I'm very excited about it. I've seen I've seen parts of them this year, and, and they've again they've had you know fantastic home form. Mm. They've picked up a, a good away win. I think it was in in Cast, um, but I think you'll see a different proposition on the road this time round. They were humbled in in the RDS with by Leinster last year, and they'll be reeling from that. So I anticipate. Um, when they go to, to Dublin this weekend, that it'll be a, a very different Montpellier side that they're going to uh, that'll face Leinster. And talking about Dublin, um, no one knows Leinster better than you. Um, what, how are they looking? I mean, you know, last four again? Do you think? Or? I think they're in good shape. I really do. I think um, there's been a slow integration of their Lions players back in, and uh, they were held back for the first four games of. Um, of the Pro 14, so um, I've been impressed. They had a good win against Munster at the weekend. They created a lot of opportunities. Probably the scoreline um, didn't reflect um, how the game went. Uh, it was only a six-point victory by Leinster, but I, I just sense that they'll be difficult, very difficult to beat in Dublin. They've got a very impressive record there, but they know how to go on the road as mm. well. And can they pick up a victory? I, I, but you know, you look at the three. You look at the three away. Uh, teams down in Montpellier, they got a draw there last year. Can they do that again? Exeter, Sandy Park, and up in, in is it Scotstoun and in, in Glasgow? They are all very, very difficult away yeah. fixtures. So maybe, maybe it'll be that one where the three home victories is the, is the side to, to well, go through. Well, I was just saying, it's a pool of death for the for the teams. It's certainly a pool of death for anyone who wants to try and predict who's going to come out of that. Um, I have to say, as much as I think Exeter will will uh, will go a bit better this year in terms of being champions, and Glasgow is so dangerous. I think the winners of that group 
you know, will come from either Montpellier or Leinster uh, and potentially maybe, you know, maybe even two teams. Who knows? Yeah, so obviously uh, this Saturday, our feature game is uh, Exeter v Glasgow at 7.30 on BT Sport 2. So interesting viewing. Plenty of great rugby ahead of us. How are Leicester and Bath feeling heading into Europe? We heard from Tigers director of rugby, Matt O'Connor, and his Bath counterpart, Todd Blackadder, at the Champions Cup launch. So, Todd, when you first came to the club, and I remember speaking about this with you before, you would have set yourself some goals, and I'm pretty sure top of that list was making sure that getting back into Champions Cup happened last season, and it has. So how excited are you to be back in the top flight of Europe? Yeah, really, really brilliant. I think um, that was definitely one of the goals to make the top six last year to qualify for this, um, for the Champions Cup. I'm really excited about it, a little bit nervous about it, to be honest, because I know it's a whole new step up. I mean, the Challenge Cup last year, um, we're probably lucky with the draw. Um, some of the teams um, probably weren't as physical as what it's going to be in the, in the Champions Cup, so we know that it's a step up, but excited about that. So who's been filling you in on what to expect? Who are your, your go-tos for Champions Cup knowledge? Oh, I mean, um, just watching the physicality. I mean, I watched a lot of the Champions Cup games last year and obviously obviously watched the round-robin games plus the, um, the semis and finals just to see what, you know, the, the elite teams in Europe and how they're playing and what we can learn from them. And, you know, I love rugby, so I love watching those games. But I could see that, you know, the French teams have got huge power, haven't they? They're really big sides and... Yeah, you see Saracens just so disciplined with their game plan and their belief and, and their ball carries. But you can just see it's a whole new level up. I mean, um, and physicality and power and there's, um, you can't afford to have an off day. So it's, it's Benetton first up. It's, it's an interesting side. They've proved a banana skin in the past for teams who perhaps overlook what they're capable of. So how are you approaching them? I think if um, for us, like we're so excited, it's going to be a first time, you know, in the Champions Cup, and it's a home game against Treviso, so, so that's going to be absolutely brilliant. So, we want to start our campaign really well. But I think those Bernstein games are often mental ones, aren't they? And you know, we're not the sort of team that can take things for granted. Like if you, you put in a put in a poor performance uh, straight off the bat, then and you, and you miss out on things like bonus points, or you take someone lightly or you don't respect them. I think you can get well and truly sat on your backside. So that's not, you just can't have that mindset if you want to progress and do well in this competition. You take every game on its merits and you play your best rugby. So you're putting a real emphasis on, on a strong start? Oh, absolutely. I think strong start with the, the strongest possible team. Um, I think that's the only way to start this competition. Matt, so you probably have a bit more experience of Europe than most with your time at Leinster and now your second time back at Leicester. What do you make of the competition? How do you view it as, as an entity? Oh, it's it's fantastic. It, it, it's it's a level up on on the domestic leagues, and it it it, it heightens the um, it heightens the urgency around everything. That, you know, every point comes at a premium, and you know the the standard of the competition is phenomenal. Does anything change as, as a coaching unit in terms of how you approach this kind of this kind of game, these fixtures, as opposed to how you approach your weekly Premiership routine? Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's making sure that everything is absolutely at a maximum, and you know, you can't afford you can't afford not to take as many game points out of the contest as you can because the bonus points and the for and against and the tries and everything comes to a really pointy conclusion at the end of the group stages, and you, you've got to do as best you can to, to get out of the group. And that's Leicester's ambitions to get out of the group or is it a bit more than that? 
Oh, well, you, first and foremost, you've got to get out of the group. You know, the, the, the focus at this stage of the competition is do whatever you can to get out of the group with that, with that new structure. If you do that, the, the odds of getting a home quarter final are really strong. And, and, you know, if you get a home quarter, well, then, you know, the odds would say that you're going to be in a semi-final. And, and that's, that's the numbers game you've got to play. And you've just got to scrap as hard as you can to get out of the group. Lawrence, you would have um, seen a lot of Leicester this year. Um, maybe not quite back at the Leicester of old standards, but slowly getting there? I think they are slowly getting there. Um, they had a wonderful pre-season. I think everyone at Leicester got very excited about the fact they were throwing the ball around and they've got all these incredible backs, star-studded back line. Um, unfortunately, it did, they didn't get off to a great start. They lost their first two games of the season. But since then... They've really steadied the ship and they've looked very, very impressive. They've been winning on the road, which is always very important. They won away at Harlequins and at London Irish. And you just feel that with the likes of Ben Youngs and George Ford there, you know, two England's two halfbacks, you know, you've got to give them a lot of respect because if the, you know, the key for me in Europe, when they take this big step up, particularly against the quality opposition like Racing, Cast and Munster, where they have big, solid packs, can that forward line, uh, can the forward pack win enough ball um, you know, control the set piece enough to give those halfbacks quality that they are. Because if you look outside them, um, you know, obviously no Manu Tulangi, which is a bit of a disappointment, but the likes of Vianu, um, Tamua. Tamua and Johnny May, who's just been scoring tries for fun. I think they'll go well this year. I, I really do. I think they'll, they're not quite back to their best yet. You know, can they can they mount a serious title challenge? That remains to be seen because I still think there's some question marks over their their forward pack and their, and their ball carriers. But I can see them winning games in Europe. Yeah, no, there's no doubt that will they will win games. It's just again about getting that consistency. You know, um, as well as more than more than most, I should say, what it takes to win up front. It's you know, mm. backs are not the guys that win games. You might get uh, an individual performance, a Charles Pietau, that can pull a, a rabbit out of a hat and win a game for you. But over the course of six games yep. your pack have to front up and I just wonder they don't have very many big names in their pack but do they have the muscle and do they have uh, the confidence and the calibre of, of you know physically strong but mentally tough players to carry them through against some pretty nasty looking opposition in in Munster uh, and then the two French sides in, in Racing and Cast. Yeah and also you know there's some painful memories for Leicester both for their players and fans from last season of going to Thoman Park and and getting schooled really by Munster. I'm not even sure they scored a point for a while. So, you know, it, it, they've got to they've got to bottle that up. And and certainly those trips away at Racing and Cast. I mean, two French sides. You know yourself going down to France once is tough enough in Europe. To have to do it twice in the group is going to be really tough. So, you know, if they get off to a good start, um, you know, they're, they're they're obviously playing away first in in Paris. If they get off to a good start, and they come back to Welford Road, and as you say, you get a couple of wins on the board then I could see them really mounting a serious challenge. Um, you know, clearly the opposite is also, um, you know, the same. If, if you get off to a defeat, uh, then it becomes a really, really difficult mountain to climb. But uh, again, you know, Munster, I watched them at the weekend against Leinster. Um, you know, they played well in, in parts. They looked dangerous, but Leinster were, you know, had the beating of them quite comfortably in the end. Um, but Europe, Brian, brings out the best in Munster. Yeah. I mean, last season, you look at the sum of their parts and you're thinking, no way are they going that far. And they still managed to, to produce. And obviously the the, um, the huge upset and, and I suppose a galvanising nature of what happened to Anthony Foley, they, 
you know that's that's a year gone by and they, i'm sure they still play for him but it, it won't have the same impact as, no. as 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 perhaps it did last year can they improve on some of the form that they've shown in in the pro 14 and yes i agree with you you know, when you get to Thoman Park on a European night, it's like what you see with Liverpool in Europe. It's uh, in, in, in the Champions League. It's different. The atmosphere there is absolutely electric. Um, they are like a 16th man. All those 50-50 decisions, they get down, get onto the referee's back. You all of a sudden do get them, you know, the, the, the break of the ball. Um, but can they marry that? with the power and the passion that Munster always deliver with a little bit of finesse. I think they're, they're looking like they're going to have some of their star players back. Zebo looks as though he's just going to make his way yeah. back into the team. He's obviously a huge player for them. He has you know, a phenomenal strike record even last year. He was over the whitewash, a huge man, knows where, how to finish from five or ten out. Um, Connor Murray is going to be huge for them. Um, but there's a few question marks this week about who's going to play 10. You know, Bladendall, his, his kick percentage is down to 40%. Ian Keatley was in um, with him playing at 10 and Bladendall at 12 last weekend. Jaco Tote is out. So I think there's a bit of uncertainty as to who you're starting 10, which isn't ideal. Yeah, and I think for those, again, I, I think at home they're going to be very tough to beat. The key question for me will be what they're able to get away from home, particularly in the two games in France. Um, I think, you know, if, if Leicester and Munster can get you know, something out of those two games, then they're going to put themselves in a really strong position. Now, let's talk Racing. They made the final against Saracens and and, um, and got beaten. Um, we seem to hear more about them off the field than we do on the field. <laughs> they don't seem to be able to behave themselves very well, but... Uh, they're still, with all those stars, they've still got to be serious contenders, haven't they? Yeah, they are. Listen, they, they probably got to a final a couple of seasons ago um, before maybe you thought it was their time. Yep. Uh, Dan Carter's uh, first year with the club, um, but in the end they were well beaten by um, a, an impressive Saracens team led by Owen Farrell. Um, they then managed to barely pick up a point in the group stage uh, last year, which um, was a bit of a capitulation um, I'd, it's kind of hard to know. Looking at their form again, I think they're they're loitering in around seventh in the in the top fourteen. Standard, um, standard French. Yeah, there. again, you know, winning more home than away. So it, nothing, you know, normal business resumed. Mm. I just wonder, do they have the appetite um, to go again? And you know, you get the sense that not everything is is perfect there. No. I think you know they're trying to pull in a lot of big stars, yeah. but. I don't know if it's if it's quite happening for them. Well, you, you need someone to build your your competition around, and I'm not sure they necessarily have that player. Cast, I think, are going to struggle. Um, you know, certainly had their issues already. They're 11th in the top 14, um, and they may continue to struggle to compete on on two fronts. And it'll be interesting to see how they get on early on, because that might, you know, that might show their hand in terms of their team selections later on in the, in the pool. So that's it exactly, and you know, it's it's perhaps. You know, you want to find um, your game against them in rounds five and six in cast because their interest levels might have waned somewhat at that stage. So if we had to put our necks on the line, um, you know, who do you think is going to qualify out of that group? You know, can you can you only see one winner, or, or do you think there might be might be might be more than that? Given cast might throw the towel in towards the back end of the competition. Well, you have to remember, there's three second place finishes come out of five pools, and we've probably already picked two in our uh, you know, um, to this point. Uh, I just wonder. Is, is this the third one? Um, I look at Leicester and I look at, at, at Munster. Munster, I, I've, I've always been against um, counting, counting against them or calling against them. They yeah. deliver year on year. And I just 
think that they'll do enough in Thoman Park and they'll pick up an away win, maybe in Cass, yeah. and that'll get them out. I just sense that Leicester, off the back of their disappointment, particularly in Racing last time around, the way they've, that they're ticking with Tamua and with Ford, that you know we might see a very different result this weekend. So I'm going to go with Leicester and, and Munster both uh, getting out of that group. And you can see Racing 92 against Leicester uh, at 3pm on BT Sport 2. So if we turn our attentions to um, Pool 5, the, the the last of the pools, um, it's got Toulon, Bath, Scarlets and Treviso. Toulon, second favourites with the bookies. Um, not quite sure how deserved that is, but they certainly, under Fabian Galtier, they certainly look a better outfit, more organised. The, the top players seem to be a lot more motivated uh, and they, they've got off to a pretty good start in the in the top 14. Yeah, but just listening to stories of players that have been there over, over the last five or six years, it, it's almost quite amazing to think that they became you know, three-peat winners um, off the back of... of um, how loose they seem to be at training, how um, the senior players were the ones driving everything. I just You get the sense that Fabian Galtier has pulled that all in a little bit tighter. Yes, you still have the riches of the quality individual players. They're just playing in a bit of a more unified way. And um, yeah, I don't know if they're quite back at their pump, but they're definitely going to be in the, in the shakeup. And as you know, bookies rarely get it wrong. So, um, you know, second favourites they are. Bath, I've seen a lot of Bath already this season. Um, again, blow a little bit hot and cold. When they're hot, they've been very good. I mean, they've already beaten Leicester, Saracens and Wasps. Um, you know, three of the sides that made uh, made the top four last year. So you can't discount their form. It's just whether they're able to take that form up to the next level. I mean, there is an Italian team, Treviso. And again, we'd, we'd say that in years gone by and say, you know, Treviso have had some significant results this season. I've watched a bit of them. They're a very different team. Yeah. And particularly over there on, on the road, they, they've still been competitive. They got a win against Edinburgh a few weeks ago up in Edinburgh, mm. um, which you know was one of the, a very rare away victory for them. But they whatever Conor O'Shea has done with the structure he's put in place, yeah. it's going becoming an Italian coach. They are a side on the up. I don't know whether they're going to have enough power come Europe time, but yeah. they're not going to make things easy for any of these sides. Listen, talking about a side on the up, you know, I think the, the real dark horses for the for the whole tournament itself in terms of qualifying out of this pool are, are Scarlets. I think, you know, they're the Pro 12 as it was then, champions. Um, I think they look brilliant again this season already. I've, I've watched quite a bit of them. Um, Wales sides have always flattered to deceive. They've never really delivered the goods, if we're honest. And I think this Scarlet's team could be the first team that could realistically be targeting a quarter-final place. Yeah, and um, I think the catalyst of, of the success and the manner in which they did it, um, win the pro, winning the Pro 12 last year, beating Leinster in the semi-final, beating Munster in Dublin in the final, I think really uh, grabbed everyone's attention. You know, we know the, the calibre of their um, top-quality Lions players, the likes of, um, of John Davis in the centre, um, Lee Halfpenny's come across from from Toulon, but they've got a good bit of muscle up front as well. You know the likes of Jake Ball in the second row. He's not playing for for Wales these days, but he is a a, a workman like second row that you need in there when the going gets tough. And I I just like the balance of their 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 um, their team. Um, you still have you know some players still to return from injury. Uh, you've got Shingler in there bossing things in the back row. Um, I just think they are a team that really know what they're about. Tigburn, a guy that's actually travelling across to Munster, ex Leinster academy player, let go, and now he's absolutely excelled in the second row for them. So I, I'm, I agree with you. I think they're a, a well, semi-dark horse. I have them down as, as pool winners, definitely. Uh, and depending on how 
what sort of fight Treviso and Bath are able to put up. Um, you know, we could have our third quarter finalist um, coming from this group as well. And, and if you know, I could see Scarlett's winning it. And if Toulon deliver and are able to win at Bath and Treviso, then I could see Toulon coming out of that group as well. Yeah, difficult, difficult to argue with that. Well, listen, uh, thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. Make sure you download next week's show. We'll be back on Irish soil with fellow Dubliner Craig Doyle. Remember to subscribe to the pod so it's delivered straight to your device every Thursday. And if you've enjoyed listening today, please give us a five-star rating and nice review on iTunes. Bye for now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.